Welcome to Re-Review, where we watch movies from our past with a perspective from today. Your hosts are Matt, Bobby, and Austin, and we love the films from our youth, so we're taking a look back to see if they still hold up. This is a very special month for us. We are celebrating all that is Nick Cage. We have each selected one Nick Cage movie for us to watch, uh, with a fourth film that we're going to let fate hand to us. Uh, Each film we're taking a look at must be at least 10 years old, and Nick Cage has to be the lead in the film. And when we get to that fourth one, there's over 30 films that we're going to put into a randomizer and we'll see uh, what gets handed to us. So we're starting this, so we're starting off Nick Cage month with Gone in 60 Seconds. It was released in 2000, directed by Dominic Senna, stars Nick Cage, Angelina Jolie, and Giovanni Ribisi. You know, this movie tells the story of a retired car thief that has to get back into some shenanigans. Now, this is a fair warning. We're spoiling a 22-year-old movie, so if you haven't seen it, we will be revealing key plot points. Bobby has kicked off Nick Cage month with this movie, so let's talk about it. Why did you choose this one, Bobby? I thought it was going to be a lot of fun. They steal 50 cars in this movie, plus maybe a few others, and I'm still not exactly sure how they did it or how they steal cars, but... I mean, I thought the movie was fun and paced well. And I mean, and as far as Nick Cage goes, it's kind of like, I don't, I don't maybe prime Nick Cage. I don't, can I say prime Nick Cage? I don't well, know. I thought you were going to say quintessential, like the, the penultimate Nick Cage. <laughs> that's, that's good too. You know, it's definitely like one of the Nick Cage movies on the list that one of the ones that I first thought of, and it was a big movie when it came out, it was like one of the big summer summer movies and i believe if i'm not mistaken i did see it in the theater and i i don't i think it's it shows its time a little more than i was expecting you mean the age of the film yeah like i mean basically like the the opening credits and some of the the coloring and oh that coloring some of the styling i think kind of showed its age a little bit yeah, that coloring was that coloring was hard. That was I mean, it definitely felt like we were on the I mean, I don't know if it's the edge. I can't even say it's the edge. It's the year 2000, but it's it super felt like it was 1997 watching that movie. Yeah, there's a lot there's there's like the sepia tone and there was the green. And so it's definitely like a more stylized look than you might see today, I think. But maybe not for the better. Yeah, I think I mentioned it felt like a a little bit of a broke matrix. Yeah, just in terms of looking at it, between the Matrix and uh, Brother, where art thou? That's what I was mm. thinking. Like it was very much, oh, yeah. it was very much yeah. like that age when they discovered digital timing. Like after, because it was very much in like the music video world during the '90s, and then they started integrating it into the movies. And for whatever reason, during this time period, they were just like, we're just sticking with one color. Like that's it. We're we're not we're not like going in and dynamically adjusting it. We're just we're just going all in on a color for this scene. Like, I wouldn't be surprised this is where, like, the trope of, like, you know, anything that takes place in Mexico is, like, yellow mm-hmm. orange. Like, it's probably where it probably where it came from. Oh, it totally nailed that. It totally. It, that's that's so spot on. I think what I do want to do, let's let's focus on the hero that we want to discuss. Let's talk about Memphis Reigns. Let's talk about Nick Cage in this film. Um, you know, Matt, I, I know for me, it's been a very long time since I've watched this. What was your takeaway seeing seeing Nick Cage in this movie in, in such a long time? Um, it's funny because I think that Nick Cage as an actor has gone through phases, um, very specific phases. 
and not any that I necessarily was like bad or anything like that, but it was, it, you, you can almost looking at like a performance, you can tell the time period of Nick Cage. And I do think that mm-hmm. like, you know, what was being said earlier about, I think this is kind of like the prime Nick Cage in the sense of, um, his, I don't know, normalcy, mm-hmm. I guess you could call it like th- this movie, wa- watching this movie, and knowing it's Nick Cage, like this is probably a very mundane Nick Cage compared to what I think of now as Nick Cage, an actor, or even Nick Cage when he first kind of started, he was kind of eccentric. And like, to me, he came off as much more awkward in this movie than what I think of as Nick Cage. Um, he didn't do anything crazy. He didn't, I don't think he really, I mean, he shouted in anger, but he didn't do like the thing that going berserk that mm-hmm. I'm kind of used to or making those weird, crazy sounds he makes. Mm. You know, like I'm thinking like face off and, you know, uh, even like this, I don't even know if I'd call it the scream, but the weird yell he makes when he's like on fire and kick ass, you know, and like, yeah, the like woos kind of thing. Yeah. It's yeah. that sound. Like it's, it's very much what I associate with Nick Cage now. So seeing him in this role, it's, it's, it's like the, you know, Nick Cage light in a way, but it's very much what Nick Cage was during this time period from like, you know, the rock to about now. I think this is probably about when that prime Nick Cage kind of took place. You're right, because there were a lot of, I, I guess I feel like, just really big movies that he had this vibe in, and, and you nailed it, because there was an element of me going, I'm not surprised by what's happening right now, because this feels very, very familiar. Yeah, totally. For sure. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely like a, a familiar, familiar vibe to it, but I mean, there's something kind of endearing about it also. I mean, like, I enjoyed watching it. I wasn't thinking like, oh, this is like parody or anything. I, I, I thought it fit within what the the idea that it was that it was presenting and i think that it it kind of seems like okay like once they cast nick cage it's like okay like this is the story we're gonna tell and this is how it's gonna be and this is what's gonna happen and i think it worked well i feel like this is a little bit of the discovery that we're gonna be doing because we're talking about nick cage how do we feel about memphis reigns did we forget about Memphis and it was just Nick Cage the whole time? Because I, I might have fallen guilty to that. I mean, that's that's an argument you can make about most actors, I think, where, you know, they're not really, you know, creating or crafting a character. I think that the only thing you could really say about his character, and this is just his his love for cars, I suppose. And for all I know, that could be Nick Cage, too. Right. You know, he might very well have it. I know he's really into comic books, mm-hmm. but, you know, um, yeah. I guess that's kind of the problem with this time period is if I compare this to, um, you know, Con Air or the rock, I feel like those are very uh, distinctive characters that he formed. Um, and the Southern draw that he had in Con Air was not great. And it was kind of distracting (laughs) times, but I kind of got his character, right. They very much crafted his character through, um, you know, the fact that he, you know, went through green beret training and, you know, he did, you know, end up in jail, you know, protecting his wife and everything and all this stuff. And it very much kind of defined his character, like his dedication to his friend. He refused to leave him behind. So very much defined his character. And even in The Rock, you know, he's supposed to be this nerdy, you know, chemical scientist or whatever. And they kind of up until at least I'd say the third act kept up with that. And for the most part, it, it drove his character in this one, I didn't feel it as much, and I couldn't help compare this to the Fast and the Furious franchise in a way, mm-hmm. because I feel like they're trying to very much go for that family vibe that kind of got popularized because of the Fast movies. Um, 
I, I don't know. I just didn't feel like him with the older characters, I think was fine. But with the newer characters introduced, it made it kind of awkward and didn't want to line up. And as a result, I don't think it just, he had anything to play off of. Like there was history there. There was, there was some character development they tried to put in there, but it just didn't work the way it did in his previous movies. I think. You're right. Kind of the tie-in with the the older crew, the crew he used to work with. There was definitely a feeling of semblance there, but the I feel like the ensemble nature of the movie maybe didn't hit as well. How did you feel about that, Bobby? Because there's elements I was thinking, were they trying to do an Ocean's Eleven thing? Oh man, you brought yeah, it up. It, it sounded like it sounded like that a lot, and I do think that 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 was kind of it. But I mean, what was interesting is him and his brother, and then it was almost like his brother had his own cast of characters and then he had his cast, but it was interesting. Even them, like him trying to recruit them in the beginning, how it seemed like, okay, like he tried to have his whole crew, but then failed calling people and not getting through with them and all that kind of stuff. And then kind of out of necessity having the other crew, but it just seemed like it was just a, plot point for conflict mm-hmm. oh man see it, did you like his brother no oh matt matt, matt gave a who <laughs> you can't see this listener but matt was shaking <laughs> his head vehemently <laughs> tell, okay tell us how you felt about giovanni ravisi i i didn't i didn't actually i did i didn't like his yeah i think matt and i agree yeah i mean he's definitely the, like so the scene i'm thinking about right now is when he goes to his house and he's trying to cook him food and it's clear that he's not like domesticated, right? Like he doesn't know how to cook. Like he burns the toast. He lets his kitchen on fire. It's kind of like telling you like, look, like this guy is not able to take care of himself and he requires somebody like his older brother to come in and take care of him and take over. And But that, that did give us the most amazing scene of watching Nick Cage put out a fire with baking soda with ease, with with such a uh, effortless motion to do it. I, I loved it. Yeah, it was pretty convenient that the baking soda was just sitting right next to the you stove. Right at that say, point, don't we all have baking soda? Ne- no, baking soda next to the stove. Anyways, uh, Matt, uh, <laughs> you know you're looking at that character, Kip Rains, and obviously it was the driving point of the movie. You don't need to get the cars if you don't have a brother who's about to get crushed by a, a car smashing machine um i i could kind of agree with you i don't know that i really loved what he did uh my i think my biggest problem with the character of kip more than anything else is um honestly speaking his i didn't really i couldn't really i couldn't really get a get a get a pulse on his character for a good chunk of the movie um, in a way, like the way he was acting towards the beginning of it, I, I led like the whole beginning sequence, which inevitably is the thing that kind of kicked this thing, whole thing off. Right. was when they just randomly stopped in front of the Porsche dealership. He just gigs out, throws a brick and steals the car. Like you could have told me that his character was supposed to be on meth or something at that time. And that's the reason why he was doing this incredibly yeah, stupid thing. Uh-huh. And even the way he's reacting to it and the way he reacted to his quote unquote family, you know, that he was, he was there with or whatever. He just seemed incredibly belligerent during that scene. And that, you know, did carry through somewhat for a portion of the movie afterwards. But like, I just couldn't get a pulse on like where his character was supposed to be. Like 
you know, you could have easily said his character had some sort of like, you know, mental, you know, handicap or something like that. And that was the cause of, you know, his instability or something like that, or I don't know anything. And it would have made a little bit more sense. But as far as I can tell, he just wasn't, you know, all there, I guess. Even, even story-wise, you could have had it so that he, and maybe they even played to this a little bit, where he was jealous of uh, Memphis, right? That he was always... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't the... The implication was that he wanted to be his older brother, it seemed like. He followed in his footsteps. That would have been great. I just feel like they didn't really follow through with the promise. They they didn't really... You know, maybe it was just because there was... Already, I mean, you, you know, Bobby, you said it was well-paced. I was... <laughs> I was about halfway through and I was like, wow, is this thing not over with yet? Like, this is not... You know, for something called Gone in 60 Seconds, I was watching the clock, man. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to lie. I'm feeling that with you. It, it it was dragging for me. And when you called out, uh, you know, how much longer do we have? And uh, Bobby mentioned that we were still 40 plus minutes to go. I, I was, This is a long movie. This two hours feels like three. I guess that's kind of the weird thing. And bringing up, you know, the fact that there was an actor in this that was in Ocean's Eleven. I, I immediately thought of it because it is the heist. It does have a crew. And I think it came mm-hmm. out the year after this, 2001, if I remember correctly. Mm. Oh, did it? So, oh, yeah. you know, it's in that same time frame. It's, you know, very, it's very much in the back of my head was watching it. It's like the crew gathering wasn't very organic. The, the, the problems between Memphis and Kip wasn't nearly as well defined as it was for some of the interpersonal relationships in you know, just thinking about Matt Damon's character in Ocean. I know we're, we're no longer talking mm-hmm. about Nick Cage movie now, but yeah, you, right, you, you, right. you think you think about the his character very much was in the shadow of his father, who was this amazing mm-hmm. thief that you know basically you know for the most part got on the job where like you know um, George Clooney's character had to test him. He didn't. I don't think he tested anyone else, but he had to test him to make sure that he was up to it because his father was so great. But you saw that throughout the movie where he's constantly trying to prove himself, prove that he wasn't the kid, you know? And mm-hmm. I, I didn't really get that with Kip's character in this. I feel like you probably could have made his character and his relationship with Memphis a little bit better had they played a little bit more into it. And they did try. I just think they really needed to flush that out more. But again, I'm sitting here counting the ticks on the clock and they would have done that. It probably would have made it worse. So, I mean, I think I think with that, thinking about the timing and the pacing and probably what may or may not have helped, I kind of want to talk about the good guy, bad guys, you know, depending on who you're rooting for here. Um, Delroy Lindo's Detective Roland Castlebeck and uh, Timothy Oliphant as Detective Drycap. Drykoff, Drykoff. I don't even think I remember hearing his name. Um, what was up with them? And especially Timothy. Did we get like a slipping in and out of some kind of Southern accent? Even though this movie, as we all will put in quotes, took place in L.A., quote unquote, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that I mean, I constantly was it was bothering me on a number of fronts. One, you know, I, maybe this is just maybe, maybe I maybe I'm not around the police force enough and detectives enough. But all detectives I've seen usually wear like suits to the job. But for whatever reason, in this time period, all these cops are wearing like leather jackets and you know, they, you would never know their cops. I don't even know if they ever flashed a badge at any point. Yeah. Like it was almost like yeah. I was watching like the wire or something or, uh, the shield, you know, like these guys mm-hmm. weren't really cops and they didn't act like cops. And you know, it, it, maybe it was just the time period. Maybe I didn't go back and watch some two thousands movies 
to see how they portray cops and detectives specifically, but they never felt like it. And Timothy's character, I don't know what they were doing with that. And you're right. I don't remember them actually ever saying his name. So they could have put any name in that credit and it would have been okay. (laughs) Yeah, no, that those two, those two bothered me quite a bit. And honestly, I don't know if they were even really that needed. If you really, you know, like, I'm I'm keeping going back to 11. Yeah, it could have been generic police force number they, one, and they're just trying to avoid them. They didn't even really need to do that from my point of view. I think that, mm-hmm. you know, you, you get, mm-hmm. oh my God, why am I so bad with his name? Uh, Eccleson, Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I'm not going to say he was a great villain, but, you know, he's an interesting actor. You could have delved a little bit deeper into it, very much like it was in Ocean's Eleven. There were no cops in that movie. You don't need to have cops in a movie like this. And I, I, they just felt so out of place. Okay. So did, maybe, maybe this is where we're getting at. And Bobby, I don't know if you felt the same way. Did they maybe spread this out too thin with how many people were involved? We have Angelina Jolie in this movie. And I realized at some point I was like, wow, I haven't seen her in a while. I thought the exact same thing. Cause I remember thinking in my head, like, oh, I thought she was in this movie more than she actually was in it because there was like big chunks where she wasn't in it at all. And yeah, I, mean, I, I thought it was pretty strange to kind of, you know, look at it and going, wait, we just got introduced to her character. Then they go through this whole sweeping scene. We have the scene where uh, Detective Roland comes into the chop shop and they have the car that they stole with the drugs in the back and they're trying to protect it. And I was like, wait, why isn't she around yet? Because she was already introduced yeah, as I mean, being part of the crew at that point. I, I liked Angelina Jolie and I liked her character. It just felt like she was very token like you know it felt like she was only there to serve nick cage's character you know as like to say like okay he had a romantic backstory that he left he left her and then she's swooning after him and which we were told while they're heisting a car and yes (laughs) it had to be told to us because none of us would actually ever believe her in it cage okay i should i should give her more credit than that and so because she was basically the only woman in the movie besides like moms and older wives and stuff i I just she just felt very token and i wish this movie was a little bit more diverse in terms of like having more interesting female characters in it. I think that would have served the movie better in my mind. Are you, are you guys car car guys at all? Cause I mean, this is probably the fast and the furious point. You're telling me they're boosting 50 cars. They had a lot of names that they referenced. And I feel like if you're, you know, even if a small party, you really loves these vehicles. I kind of wanted a, a little bit more emphasis on the car. Now I know that probably would have made it a four hour film, but uh, the focus on Eleanor, um, that that was a Shelby Mustang. And, mm-hmm. you know, we saw a lot of Shelby other Mustang. flashy cars, but we never, I feel like for being the thieves they were and for the cars they were getting, I kind of wanted a little bit more car action. Yeah. So there actually, so there's the list online of all 50 cars and there are some pretty amazing cars. Like there's the James Bond, Aston Martin, DB7. Did we see that? I don't I don't even recall seeing it at all. There's there's a bunch of Cadillacs. There's some Bentleys, which I don't remember seeing at all, like a Bentley Continental. Didn't see it at all. There was another Aston Martin. Um there's a Chevy Bel Air convertible, which 
you know, I don't remember seeing. There's So should we be challenging the name of this film only because it was a heist that still took place over what a 24 hour period or at least one evening? But this like this 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 list is like the in a lot of ways like the holy grail of cars, you know. There's Lamborghinis, Lexuses, Lincolns, Mercedes. Of course, they talked a lot about the Mercedes. There's a Pontiac GTO. There's a a T-Bird. So you, you're it's the like, car guy, Bobby. That's what I'm hearing. You know all these vehicles. Yeah, well, I mean, these are all, every single one of these cars is like a six-figure car. And, mm-hmm. you know, like, they, I mean, that's that's one of the interesting things about this movie is that they set the bar so high for it, like, steal 50 cars in one night, right? And then the interesting thing is that he sure they did it, but it didn't really seem to matter mm-hmm. that they did it. I mean, they're like, okay, like you did it great. Let's fight, you know? And so mm-hmm. like whether, so it seemed like if he would have showed up and said, Hey, I have no cars, the exact same thing would have happened anyway. So it was like, they were determined to have a battle one way or the other. Now I, I can't remember. I think Matt, maybe you said, it, but maybe it was Bobby. Uh, in terms of being surprised that they didn't actually try to spin this off into a franchise. Oh yeah. That's, and maybe, maybe it is the fact that the past and furious came out five or six years after this. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I think this movie did marginally well. I think that it definitely made back its budget, but it wasn't something as much of a, um, you know, a sleeper hit or anything like that. Um, I am surprised that it didn't become something a little bit more, um, especially when you, you, you have the crew, I mean, I'm going to keep going back to Ocean's 11. We got like four <laughs> movies out of that and a remake right, or spinoff right. or something. Mm-hmm. And we only right. got one of these. And like, I know this one was originally based off of, and I'm sure very loosely based off of a movie back in the sixties. Um, but at the same time, it is a little no, bit this, surprising. This is a, this is basically a remake of a movie from the seventies. No seventies. There we go. It was a Roger Corman produced movie called Gone in 60 Seconds. And the li- the the tagline is that is South American drug lord pays pace, I guess that's the name of that character in that movie, to steal 48 cars for him with all but one in the bag. <laughs> thereby the police participate a desperate car chase against Pace and his Eleanor across Southern California. Oh, so they just wanted to up it by two cars yeah. for this one. I am interested yeah. in watching that old film. I'm not going to lie. Um, I do I do want to ask a couple things. T- first, uh, the comedy aspect. There was comedy. Feel, <laughs> well, okay, that's that's why I wanted to bring it up, and I think it could be a very quick thing here. But um, jokes weren't that great, were they? I mean, it didn't help that they seemed to fall on very specific characters and they were saying lines that I feel like uh, probably modern actors of that particular type probably would turn it down <laughs> for said reason. Um, There's a lot of stereotyping, you would say. There was a lot of stereotyping in this movie. And it, you know, some sometimes it can work if you get the right actor with the right script. And even if they ignore the script and they do their own thing or whatever, it can sometimes work almost to a annoying annoyingly um good aspect the fact that you know sometimes they can actually transcend the rest of the characters 
because mm-hmm. like they're ablibbing everything, right? Um, but it just didn't work, and like it was so painful. Like I can, I you know I think I started reading the script during parts of it or whatever. I would like to go back and actually check out some of those lines to see what was in the script and what was potentially just made up on the spot. Because if that was made up on the spot or in the script, it felt both ways. Like mm. it was just painful and it seemed to fall on the one character. I cannot, I cannot remember his name for the life of me, but um, the character that was on Kip's crew, it just almost always fell on him to be the, the, you know, the, the comedy relief mm-hmm. in this. And it just never worked. Yeah, uh, it's one of those weird things where, and and maybe this is again with time, things change. Your feelings change about stuff, but felt the comedy hurt a bit. I do want to switch it over to what was an emphasis in the film. Let's talk about the action because we had gunfights, we had car chases. Robbie, did you feel they delivered on that stuff? Yeah, I mean there was a lot of it. I mean there was there was probably. I mean, in terms of like the whole like steal 50 cars in one night, there was a lot of other stuff going on as well. You know, they had to deal with Master P's group who was mad. <laughs> yeah, that, we, how can that we not mention were, Master P? Yeah, <laughs> Master P. They were they were mad about Ma- Master P was mad about them going on his territory. And that was a whole like side story kind of thing. And then there's just a lot of like shenanigans trying to get things going that were outside of like the actual stealing cars and stuff so there there was a lot to it were you happy with the big eleanor chase scene and the ripping around la la in quotes once again (laughs) no no traffic la (laughs) right yeah that was the interesting thing and i mean like there was one scene where you can kind of see down the street and it did look like it was like blocked off like you could see like the production blocking the street off like way down way down the way over there because that street was completely empty and i mean yeah i mean logistically this the this movie is difficult i mean i i did think it was pretty fun Mm -hmm. but i mean yeah like just just trying to drive around la to hit 50 spots and not do anything Mm -hmm. is like impossible to do in one night all right should should his character have been let go at the end should he get his broken Shelby to drive off in the sunset? Uh, he kind he kind of he's gonna get another one, so he kind of got his he kind of got his Shelby. But I mean, really, like for all the things he did for driving against, you know, like he kind of got let off pretty easy in the end. There, what did you guys this think about the very end? We're saying Netflix, bring it back, bring the cage back. Get a Shelby. We are going for round two of this movie. <laughs> no, no, no one's biting on that. That's fine, Matt. It's been a <laughs> long time since you watched this. Tell us how. Tell, tell us how you feel. Are you telling people to watch Gone in sixty seconds? To be honest, as a Nick Cage movie, no, and as a car heist movie, no. I think there are better in both categories. How dare you, sir? We are just starting Nick no, Cage month. How no. dare you, Bobby? There, there are others. There are others. <laughs> There is another. <laughs> There's another. Bobby, are you telling people to watch Gone in 60 Seconds? Yes, watch it. Oh, that's perfect. That was the, the emphasis was there. Good cars, <laughs> good action, fun Nick Cage. Okay, let's ride. It's good stuff. It's for those moments that we cherish Nick Cage. Uh, 
realistic answer for me? Yeah, I'll probably watch something else. From the Nick Cage answer, I mean, you're lining it up. If you're if you're here to watch Nick Cage movies, this one's you're putting in, in you're putting in the VHS because that's that's what was happening back then. Uh, but it does hurt a lot in a lot of places. So with that said, as always, thank you so so much for listening. And y'all ready to play pin the tail on the donkey? <laughs>